We are back to talk about Penn State, Michigan, probably about as much as you want to hear about Penn State, Michigan. Not ideal for the Nittany Lions in Ann Arbor this weekend. 42-7 to was the final score. At times it seemed closer than that. At times it didn't seem, you know, as it didn't seem a five-score game. It seemed like a 50-point game. Either way, not great for Penn State. This is the Lions 24-7 podcast. I'm Sean Fitz. Tyler Donahue was in Ann Arbor, and that was not pretty. No, and it was a game where um, as poorly as Penn State's played offensively, it, you you got into the third quarter and you're still saying one play could change this and Penn State could put itself back in there. And uh, Inevitably, though, as everyone in the press box, and I'm sure Penn State fans watching at home, knew that the, the dam would kind of open up defensively. You can't ask those guys to be on the field. We'll talk about all the ins and outs of this one. But, um, yeah, it, it was definitely being in, in the post-game interviews and, and, and seeing Franklin's demeanor. Um, Different kind of Penn State football team that than I've ever seen covering on this beat, and again that only goes back to the start of last season. Uh, but a different kind of uh, just overall vibes from the players and, and from the from Franklin than I've seen as well after any of these games and uh, some soul searching going on this week. I'd have to imagine at the Lash building. You would have to imagine. Uh, this one, we talked last week uh, about the potential for this one to snowball out of control. And when it was 14 nothing, and it was 14 nothing until there was, what, one minute left in the fourth, or excuse me, in the third quarter. So it, it didn't seem like it was that close at the time. And then Michigan just poured it on a couple of turnovers for Penn State, uh, just kind of got out of control. And this one just got out of hand real quick. I mean, we can, we can talk about... Um, you know, we'll mention some good things, and 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 you mentioned it already. The defense don't think they played good enough to win, but th- they deserve much more than what they got in a thirty-five point loss um, at Michigan. So, uh, I think this one, when you're talking about uh, putting blame, and that's what we want to do all the time, and in, in, you know, on the internet and and talking about it on the radio, you want you want to put it on multiple people. I mean, it's on the offense. I mean, there's there's no question about it in my mind. The defense did what they could. For the situation that they were put in where they were consistently on the field, Penn State's play chart is just abysmal to look at. Four plays on the opening drive, three and out, four plays, one one play that was a fumble off of a, a you know a potential game-changing interception return. I'm not going to waste time talking about what a bad call that was because it really didn't matter in the end. Um, three and out, Penn State's longest drive in the first half, nine plays for 44 yards, which ended up in a punt. Three and out, three and out, a two-play interception, another three and out, another one-play interception, and then they finally put together an 11-play, 75-yard drive that, that – that, uh, you know, made sure they didn't get shut out for the first time since 2001. Your defensive problems this week completely rooted in Penn State's offense because it was awful. And that's something that that has been a trend, you know, really since the bye week and the last few weeks. And it's something that Franklin has been asked about. He's taken it upon himself to, to actually bring it up at times during media sessions that they can't tax the defense like this on a weekly basis. You know, Penn State was already up there among among college football programs in terms of of snap counts against uh, against their defense. You look at the Indiana game that that reached a hundred snaps, and it just has been a steady problem. And you look at the final minute of the third quarter. Again, you go into that final minute. It's fourteen nothing. What happens in that last minute of game action? Well. You get a touchdown pass from Shea Patterson to Zach Gentry. Michigan goes up 21 to nothing. That capped off a 13-play, 90-yard drive that took about half of the third quarter. So you're down 21 nothing. What happens then? Well, 
James Franklin elects to tap on Tommy Stevens' shoulder. According to Franklin and according to McSorley, this was a move intended to provide a spark on offense. They were looking for a spark. They thought Tommy Stevens could give it to him. Moments later, he throws one of the more baffling interceptions I've seen in person, if not the most baffling. Um, you know, Brandon Polk streaking down the sideline, seemingly open. Tommy Stevens sees him. Uh, instead, uh, basically, uh, it's a long. It almost felt like a long handoff uh, into it was the a long handoff. into the bre- into the bread basket of Brandon Watson, who goes sixty two yards the opposite direction. Then you're saying, "Whoa, we're still in the final minute of this third quarter. It's twenty eight nothing." Let's make things a little bit more weird for everyone involved. Trace McSorley back in there. Now let's make this clear. Uh, when Franklin was asked about putting McSorley back in after the Stevens interception, he said it was because you can't have a turnover like that in a situation like that. So that was a performance-based decision based on on what we're hearing and, and uh, coming out of James Franklin's mouth, you know, an hour or so after the moment. Uh, McSorley goes back in. He gets taken down hard by Quiddy Pay, and all of a sudden he's heading to the medical tent as the third quarter clock hits triple zeros. Everything I just said happened in the final minute of the third quarter, and it set the stage for just an absolute um, smearing of Penn State, you know, in the fourth quarter. Uh, you know, whether you were on social media in the game itself, you know, Michigan, they were, there was jabs in so many subtle ways towards, towards Penn State, um, you know, at one point in the fourth quarter. And, and I know people say, oh, these play in all these different stadiums. It was like a 30-second uh, blend of two songs. It was Mo Bamba, which there was a viral video of Penn State players celebrating that with, with the student section after the Iowa game. And that went right into Sweet Caroline. And that's a song that Michigan had to hear in the fourth quarter last year while they were getting their butts whooped by, by Penn State. I'm sorry, you can't tell me that was some kind of just randomness in the universe where those two songs came in back-to-back with Penn State getting pummeled in the fourth quarter. This was a major gut punch for everyone involved in the Penn State program uh, for their fans, and it really started to, to avalanche in the wrong direction in that final minute of the third quarter. You and I have different definitions of subtle because it could not have been less. No, yeah. Uh, well, some people was, thought I was crazy for suggesting it. So it, That's <laughs> kind of insane because they, they set out, everybody in that stadium set out to embarrass Penn State, and they eventually came through with it. I mean, it's just, it is what it is. I mean, you can, uh, you know, complain about anybody running up the score, but in the end, your, your job is to score as many points, and, and your job on the other side is to keep the team from scoring as many points. And, you know, Penn State ran it up on some teams earlier this year. I have no problem with with that Michigan ran it up on this year or excuse me Michigan ran it up on Penn State on Saturday I have no problems with that either I mean Penn State's got to stop them at some point uh, and, and and again I, and I say stop them as if it were on the defense again not on the defense on that offense 11 first downs 68 yards rushing uh, Penn State passing 8 of 17 for 118 yards and two picks they Penn State sure Penn State allowed 259 yards rushing you knew that going in the game we talked about it last week what Michigan was going to try to do they were going to run the hell out of the ball they were going to test the middle of that defense and and you know after that first drive Penn State made some adjustments and 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 did some things well I thought the defensive line played fine I thought Jan Johnson and Cam Brown played fine again um, you know you're sitting there talking about Koa Farmer in the game really no reason he should be considering the the way that he's played in the last two months Um, but it's just it's crazy to think about where Penn State is from an execution standpoint we saw where they were against Ohio State and you know we've seen since that Ohio State's not a great team either Um, but uh, you know it just it seemed like that game sort of broke them and that's where they're that's where they're at uh, a month later just sort of struggling to find out what they are They've got 
very limited execution. You can't do much with the receivers. The receivers have been flat out bad at times. And when you're completing eight passes, that's that's obviously something that's uh, that's not working for you. So just, you know, we want to blame people. There's blame to be had all over. And I think it starts at the top. Um, Trace McSorley um, was obviously not himself. You know, when you can't run, you can use James Franklin's words after the uh, the last game or after the Iowa game where, you know, if he can't give you the whole package, you need to let him know. But as the head coach, you need to be the guy that makes that call. I mean, I know it's a tough call. I agree with him 100% that, uh, he, that, that, that Trace McSorley has earned the benefit of the doubt. But when it's visibly apparent like that, that he can't give you what you need in an environment like that against a defense like that. I mean, that's, that's on Franklin in my, in my mind. When, when your team captain elects to sit out of a game like this, that's when he's no longer a leader in the locker room. It's not on the player. It's not on Trace McSorley to say, I need to step aside. I'm out. He's going to want to do everything and squeeze every ounce of athleticism of and, ability. And I, and I have no, I have no problem no. with, with what he's trying to do. But as, as a coaching staff, you have to identify that this is, this is bad for your team. This isn't, this isn't a, a net zero for your team. Like I think it kind of was with Iowa. This is bad for your team. And when you, when you can't run with the quarterback, he ran for 76 yards against Michigan last year. Um, you know, the, there were opportunities for him to run this year and he can't do it. And, and I don't have a problem with Trace trying to gut it out, but, at the, at the same time, the coaching staff has to step in and, and, and be and say, "Hey, you can't you can't put us in the situation that you need to be in." So I'm sorry, but you, 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 we love you. You got to take us. Yeah, and and that's the point I was trying to make. You expect the player to do everything again to be on the field at some point. Uh, you know, the, the person who was making the decisions on who was on the field's got to make that call. And, and and Franklin said, you know, it should have come earlier in the game. Uh, obviously, the puzzling thing is when you go with Tommy Stevens, he throws a pick and you yank him right away. Uh, put McSorley back out there. It, it, it was bizarre. I don't know if we want to get into that right now. I think what, what I will say, and, and we got to get into the Stevens-McSorley thing, but I want to talk more big picture. What concerns me a lot is it, it is not the young players and it's it, who are failing to rise to the occasion here for the most part. I think Micah Parsons has been pretty steadily who he is, and, and he's been a guy who's going to make the tackles. Uh, he's been a guy who, who is going to find the football, um, and, and that's been apparent. That's why he is, uh, I, th- I think at this point, one uh, either leading the team in tackles or one or two off that pace. Uh, but then I look on offense and, and, and what's going on there. It has been a major reliance on Trace McSorley continuously. You saw Miles Sanders get four carries in the entire first half when you know you've got a quarterback who's, who's limited. Um, I, I don't know how you can't get the ball into somebody else's hands a little bit more frequently out of that backfield. I know Michigan's got you know a, a tremendous defense. They made a big statement. But look, from a game plan standpoint, if you know Trace McSorley's where he's at, uh, you know, it, I, th- I thought that was interesting that Sanders got four carries and, and everything else was all McSorley, either as a runner or a passer in that first half. And obviously we saw that didn't work out well. But when you look at who was getting targeted in this game, the passing game, continuous theme. It's, it's Pat Fryermuth, Jahan Dotson, K.J. Hamler. Um, these guys are playing in their ninth game. It's their first game at the big house. They are playing against a team that, that, that Trace McSorley said is going to want to be like a hammer on defense and bully you. So again, these are guys who last fall were on high school fields or on the sideline as redshirt players, 
and that continues what we've seen. We've seen the reliance on Trace McSorley coming out of the bye week, whether he's banged up or not, and we've seen a reliance on first-year targets. Did a little bit of the math here. There's been 60 total team catches since the bye week, so that's a four-game sample size. 60% of those total catches have gone to players in their first year of college action, so redshirt freshmen and true freshmen. Of the remaining 40%, That's almost 40% of them have gone to Tommy Stevens or Miles Sanders. So there is a major vacuum there, in my opinion, in terms of veteran players coming up. But at this point, it's hard to figure out where to assign blame because uh, we've heard that from the coaching staff, from Ricky Ronnie, it's not a personnel thing. We've seen the same personnel trotted out there routinely, still not producing. So that tells me, well, if it's not a personnel thing and you're still getting no production, why isn't the scheme changing? Why isn't that evolving in the game plan? Um, and, and so you've got kind of a mesh point there, and, and it's hard to figure out what the heck is going on. And then on top of that, you got Trace McSorley now and, and this injury issue, and he's dropped back 35 times on pass plays since he exited the game against Iowa, Sean. Uh, he's been sacked five times. He's thrown two interceptions. And beyond that, he's, he's 12 of 30 passing uh, for fewer than 190 yards through the air. That's just where it is right now since he exited the game. It, it's compounding things that were already an issue. Um, Trace McSorley has had to carry such a big load. We've talked about that. Right now, he just might not be capable of carrying that load. And the supporting cast has failed to rise up aside from these guys who are getting their first taste of action in Big Ten football here in 2018. Yeah, you said a couple things in there that that sort of caught my ear. Uh, First off, you mentioned evolving. I mean, I don't know that we've seen a ton of evolution. Um, Granted, Michigan's defense, the best they've played, the best they will play this year. And, uh, you know, so you tip your hat to those guys because they did a phenomenal job attacking that line of scrimmage. I mean, outnumbering them, stunting them, which Penn State's offensive line looked like it had never seen a stunt at times on, on, uh, on Saturday. But the the lack of evolution in the offense, I think you, you went into the big house and you, you reverted back to the form from a couple of years ago where you looked like you were scared to turn the ball over. And when you're scared to turn the ball over, you know, more often than not, turnovers happen. I mean, that's that's kind of the way that, it, that it's gone. Um, I, I do like some things that they worked in there. Jahan Dotson came in, Brandon Polk again, uh, a, another bad uh, drop that led to what should have been a pick. Um, Jahan Dotson came in, did some good things. Um, that that receiver group, though, you look across the board, of course, they were without Juwan Johnson, but Juwan Johnson hasn't been good this year. They just lack an alpha. And I talked to some people about this this week, and it, it's a concern because you went out, Deshaun Hamilton developed into that guy. Mike Gesicki was that guy. Chris Godwin was that guy that you needed to to, to step up and be that, you know, just the, the guy that you can go to at any time. I love Hamler. I think Hamler can get to that point. But, you know, from the slot, you, you typically don't want your 5'9 slot guy to be your alpha. So um, Penn State to, in that situation – um, looking for Trace McSorley to bail them out. Trace has not been accurate whatsoever over the last month of the season. Um, you saw that on that uh, streak to DeAndre uh, Tompkins, which should have been a touchdown. But man, it's uh, it, it's frustrating to watch because you know Miles Sanders doesn't have a chance back there, um, and it's more than just the offensive line. It's more than just uh, uh, it's more than just the running game itself. But you're not going to respect that running game when when you don't have to respect the wide receivers that are out there. Right, and and if the reasons you know if what we're being 
experience old and, and obviously no coaching staff is ever going to throw their players under the bus. But if you're saying that particular positions aren't productive right now because of the way defenses are, uh, you know, a, a approaching you, then where is the pushback? You know, how is that benefiting somebody else? Because KJ Hamler had one catch in this game. Uh, Miles Sanders was not very involved in this game. Those are two elite playmakers. Those are two big time, you know, talents that you've that you've developed and you've been excited about. Uh, they were essentially, you know, for the large part of this game, non-factors because of the way Michigan was playing. And you were looking for someone else to step up. I think we saw the continued emergence of Jahan Dotson. But let's face it. I, I mean, it, it, I, I, I don't want to go too deep because it is literally beating a dead horse on this particular podcast when it comes to the receivers. But they have now have three guys who have started games for them. Matt Hippenhammer, DeAndre Tompkins, Brandon Polk. They have all gone three games in this Big Ten schedule without catching a single pass. Each of them have not cost, caught a pass in half of the Big Ten games. Uh, you had Hippenhammer out there as a starter this week. Um, you know, you're still getting Polk actively involved in that rotation. Uh, Polk now has a three-game streak of, of not catching a pass, and he's amounted probably, you know, when you look at Hippenhammer and, and Polk, those guys are getting they're, they're top five in your receiver rotation in terms of getting reps, and, and neither of those guys have caught a pass in the last three weeks. Uh, I mean, if it's not personnel, then it's something even more significant because that is the definition of insane, as they say. When you keep trying to do the same thing, you get the same results. You, you, you go through another game week. You try to do the same thing. You get the same results, whether it's personnel or scheme. It's not up to par right now. It's not up to par, and, and, and I think they understand that in, in the Penn State uh, staff office. Um, but we have yet to see that translated onto the football field on a Saturday. And I think we argued earlier this year about the, the freshmen not being the answer. I don't still don't think they were at that point in time, but I think you got to move in that direction. Three games left on the schedule. Of course, uh, you know, everybody's circled Maryland and Rutgers as, as games where you could get shorter and George and those guys into the mix. You might have to do that this week against Wisconsin because you, you, you need something. I mean, you just, uh, you need, uh, you know, whether it's, it's changing formations, putting more tight ends on the field to maybe, you know, leave, leave Nick Bauer in the block or something like I mean it's just you, you need something because I mean you just saw that over and over again and, it, and it's one thing if you're you know watching the Arizona Cardinals a couple weeks ago just running David Johnson just straight into the back in the back of the offensive line over and over and over again that's one thing but when you spread it out when you try to do similar things in the passing game and you can't do that with uh, or you can't keep the clock rolling at that same point and you got the potential for this thing to get out of hand that's what happens so um, it's uh, uh, it's it's definitely you know things that uh, I'm not sure that you can fix in a week. Uh, Wisconsin obviously is reeling as well. Um, so six and three at both on, on both sides in that one, which we thought this might have been the Big Ten game of the year coming into the season. Um, I mean, it's just a it's a it's a scary situation when you think about how much of that progress that you gained in the last couple of years is now lost, and it goes back to that evolution of the offense. Really, not seeing much more of that than we saw, you know, uh, to, to open the season. Just got masked a little bit by the quality of opponent at the beginning of the season for Penn State. The floor just dropped out underneath Penn State uh, for Saturday. I'm extremely curious to see how they'll respond. I know everyone is. And let's face it, Wisconsin fans are not happy with the product on the football field. They thought their team had the ability to get back to Indianapolis, just like Penn State fans thought. Both, both program fan bases thought they'd be talking playoffs this time of year. Instead, they're talking about problems. And, and that, So I think this is a really interesting matchup because both these teams badly need some positivity on Saturday. But I think with Penn State, 
Um, you know, it for me, it just comes down to, to, you know, execution repeatedly. You know, I mean, look at third downs, two for 11 against Michigan. Uh, that's been a theme. They're completing ni- they're converting 19 percent of third down opportunities in these three losses. And, and, and as McSorley said Saturday, there are a lot of third and longs. There are there are not many manageable third downs. You know, you saw a prime example of the difference between third and seven versus third and two when Robert Windsor jumped offside in the first half against Michigan. Uh, you know, that totally changes how you can approach third down. You got third and two. You can take more of a battering ram approach, trying to get it on the ground. Third and seven with an offensive passing game that's been very inconsistent. That's difficult. And and again, we've only seen one game this year, Sean, uh, where Trace McSorley, where Penn State quarterbacks in total have completed more than 60% of their passes. I believe the number last year was 10 out of 13 games. They completed 60% or more of passes. There's just there's just way, way too much left out there on the field, opportunities that are not being capitalized and executed. And you can't overcome that against great teams. And, and right now it's a separating factor that is pushing Penn State you know, further down to the pack, at least in terms of where things are in 2018 in the Big Ten. I certainly don't think that, that they don't have the ability to bounce back the remainder of this year and next year. But to this point, things are trending in the wrong direction. A team that uh, had lost three games in, in its last 26 games, uh, 27 games, I'm sorry, they've now lost three games in, in five games. So it's just, it's like, whoa, th- you know, perception is big um, and it's changed a lot. But I, I will say it's just, where are the answers for Penn State? And, and, and they're not, they've not been able to come up with anything. And this thing is kind of slippery surface. What we saw at Michigan State, you thought maybe was an aberration and just the game we talk about as a monumental failure. We're starting to see that kind of team show up in frequency for, for a lot of the game against Indiana. Uh, Iowa was a mess at times. Uh, certainly, and, and then you know this uh, this week was a disaster. And for a team that had not lost a game by more than four points in the past thirty-one contests, and a team that had held a fourth-quarter lead in the past thirty-one contests, to be down forty-two to nothing in a national showcase game—that's uh, that's that's pretty amazing. That's brutal, is what it is. Um, still, some good things. Uh, we won't we won't harp on them as long as the other stuff. But uh, uh, Journey Brown got in the game. Thought he looked pretty decent out there. Um, I think it's one of those things where they're just trying to get him the ball and and, and waiting for it to click. You've seen him back um, with KJ Hamler on kickoffs. Maybe you know, maybe hoping the ball goes his way or something like that. I thought he looked pretty decent. Uh, Yitor Gross Matos was good I, again. I didn't have a problem with the the front. Uh, I'll say front seven, but I, I really mean the front. Um, because uh, you know there's still some some issues at linebacker, and I do think the linebackers have gotten better. I know that's the one place everybody wants to go to, along with the defensive tackles. Right away, thought the defensive tackles were, were fine um, after that first drive or two uh, on Saturday against Michigan. Um, but yeah, it's just um, it, it's it's when you have the end result be that bad, it's it's hard to point out the positives. You get that. I mean, it, it really just the, the the crux of it. You get that uh, field goal block. You pick it up. Um, you know, whether that's the right thing to do or not, you pick it up or you return it for a touchdown. You get the, the, the block below the waist penalty where 175 pound Zach McPherson goes to block 350 pound Mike Onwenu. And uh, yeah, just uh, it's crazy to think that, that that could turn that quick. And then all of a sudden it's a fumble. I mean, really, that's the microcosm of the last month and a half that we've been watching with this Penn State team. Flashes of good things, flashes of talent. And then all of a sudden it just uh, doubles back and goes three steps in the other direction. 
the flashes were so few and far between in this game. And, and as we were talking about in the podcast, it wasn't like there were a bunch of moments where you said, wow, if, if Penn State could have pulled off that play, that changes everything. The obvious one is, is the blocked field goal uh, that, that Garrett Taylor returned to the end zone would have tied up the game. Uh, you know, obviously that gives you some confidence. Uh, and then the other is late in the second half, um, you know, you could have cut the, cut the deficit from 14 to 7 if Trace McSorley is able to connect with a very much open DeAndre Tompkins down the sidelines. If, if that passes is in the vicinity of Tompkins and he can reel it in, uh, he's, he's into the point, he's into the end zone and it's a 14 to seven game late in the first half. But aside from that, you know, it wasn't like a lot of drives that looked promising. There wasn't a lot of plays that looked promising. You know, you had three turnovers in this game, uh, another one on an exchange between McSorley and Sanders, a brutal interception for both McSorley and Stevens. And then of course you had, you know, uh, five, three and outs. I mean, it's just, it's just not winning football. It's not going to put you any kind of, any kind of position to hang around late into a game um and and i think we probably got to get into this sean aside from the results of this game and the question marks uh there is some concern at what happened at quarterback late in that game because both tommy stevens and trace mcsorley two guys that i would consider media savvy didn't have a lot of answers in terms of how that situation was handled with them kind of rotating while this game was falling apart at the seams neither of them really had a sense uh, for where that situation was in the moment. And I thought that stood out during our conversations uh, immediately after the game in the media room. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I was not in Ann Arbor. I did not hear the tone of it, but when you, when you're questioning that after the game, especially after a, a game that was, you know, just a, an absolute blowout uh, for, for, you know, the last 16 minutes of the game were just uh, crazy for Penn state. But when you're questioning that, when you're questioning, you know, should this guy have been in there? Should this guy, or was it performance based? Was it injury based? I mean, it really doesn't matter. I mean, he's just the, the guy that was in there, really didn't have a shot to do what he needed to do. I think Tommy gives you a little bit more of a runner. I mean, obviously we've seen his decision-making on Saturday was not, not completely ideal. Still ended up three or four passing. So, um, yeah, just uh, when you talk about what the best option is and, and you can't come up with that answer after the game, you, you got you got some issues there, man. And I just, for, I know a lot of folks were very much, you know, understand what happened, but I have to imagine there's some fans who, you know, maybe walked away from their TV by then, uh, moved on with their Saturday night uh, to to other uh, ways to forget about Saturday night. Uh, but to kind of go over the sequence of what happened late and, and why it's worth discussing now. Um, you know, Trace McSorley, they're down 21 nothing. I mentioned that long Michigan touchdown drive early in the podcast, 90, 90 yards, almost seven minutes, makes it 20 and one nothing, you know, about 50 seconds or so left in, in the in the third quarter. Uh, that's when Stevens comes in and McSorley said it. Franklin said it. They were searching for a spark. They felt like Stevens uh, specifically alluding to his rushing ability. Uh, could make could be that spark and maybe get a drive together that that could help Penn State chip away and, and, and get some kind of momentum um, and of course the interception comes and at that point through 30 plays Penn State had managed 92 yards with Trace McSorley at quarterback um, he had 77 total yards in this game he had 461 total yards against Ohio State so this is not <laughs> just not even close to, to the same kind of comparison um, so McSorley comes out and then he comes back in after Steve throws that pick and everyone's thinking okay it's 28 nothing now is McSorley okay well it turns out the next play he gets twisted up goes down hard he's headed to the medical tent so now you're like there's no way we're gonna see McSorley again there's no way Stevens comes in 
two plays later, Penn State punts the ball. That's their fifth three and out. Another drive that ends in nothing for Penn State. Um, and then all of a sudden, here comes Trace McSorley. Uh, and at this point, um, it, I believe it's 35 nothing at this point. And Trace McSorley's in the game in the fourth quarter. We know he's banged up. If you consider this guy the best player in college football, as we heard James Franklin say repeatedly in the past week, how are you not, how are you not keeping him on the sidelines against a defense that clearly smells blood in the water? He throws a, a, another poor interception. Then he's done for the day, and Stevens comes back in. At the end of this whole thing, Franklin's asked about it. Mentions maybe he should have made, you know, in retrospect, should have made that move earlier. Um, then he's asked about why did Tommy Stevens get benched after the interception after he made the move? Well, you can't make mistakes like that. Okay, so where's the disconnect with those guys? McSorley said, you know, it's a coach's decision. He, this, not, nothing about this said that it was a medical decision. And clearly because they put him back in there when it was 35, nothing even later, it wasn't a medical decision. Um, but, but Stevens and McSorley both told us that series to series, they were just waiting to hear who was going in. So the line of communication was not in place. And I think both of those guys deserve more than that. This is the second time in the podcast that you've recapped it so eloquently for our listeners. I'm sure they're going to be very grateful to have to relive that for a couple of times. Play that one in um, slow-mo so you can really get the full thing. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, perfect, perfect. But yeah, I think it's you know it's going to be worth questioning heading up to this uh, this weekend against Wisconsin. Noon kick on Saturday at the stadium. I don't think parking is going to be good. Uh, it's going to be going to be an interesting atmosphere because it's going to I think be a late arriving crowd and you know probably a pretty sparse one as well. So uh, both teams a disappointment. Uh, we'll probably talk about the, the Badgers a little bit uh, later this week. Of course, you know they're going to try and run the football like constantly, basically what Michigan did, except Wisconsin has had a little bit more success with that this year, albeit a little bit differently. So um, we'll talk about that later this week. Like I said, uh, short episode. Tyler and I always joke about uh, doing a quick one here um, and usually turns up being about an hour. This one, not so much. I'm, I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of frustration on your end as a listener as well covering the team is just uh it's kind of like smashing your head into the wall uh this this last month of the season so we're going to talk a little bit more about uh what penn state needs to do to get back on track later this week we're going to talk about wisconsin probably talk a little bit of recruiting as well penn state got has some uh, official visitors coming in this weekend uh, worth talking about but um i think that's it tyler you have any more recaps that you want to give the, the listeners this week I think that's enough for uh, that's probably about everyone can st- stomach so far. We'll we'll get a chance here Tuesday and Wednesday to talk to players and James Franklin and uh, hopefully be able to shed a little bit more light on what happened last Saturday. And I don't know how many answers we'll get that that will be uh, sufficive to our audience, but uh, we'll do our best to bring that from our reporting. So stay tuned later in the week. But uh, for now, maybe just uh, don't don't think about that game too much. Go out and live your life. Look at the foliage and uh, maybe burn burn the uh, the DVR a, a recording of that one answers and sufficient answers always quite different to <laughs> to a fan base anyway this has been the lions 24 7 podcast thank you for sticking with us for a half hour we know it was not easy uh but we'll be back later this week i'm sean fitz that's tyler donahue and uh i guess we'll we'll be back uh, on thursday or friday